Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So these are the um, two closing sections of the Satipatthana Sutta. Um, I mean, in the way that we separated them, it's not because they're not, these were natural divisions in the sutta. Um, and so here, the Buddha is teaching us the whole point and purpose of the four foundations of mindfulness and developing um, a profound level of concentration so that we can hold in mind the Eightfold Path that leads us to understanding Four Noble Truths. So again, the whole point of the Four Foundations of Mindfulness and Jhana Meditation is so that we can be present in this moment and so that in this moment I can understand Four Noble Truths. Right? The Four Noble Truths are not something that I memorized yesterday and tomorrow there's going to be a test on it. The Four Noble Truths become the expression of our life in this moment. Um, and here the Buddha teaches exactly how to, how that happened, not how it happens, how it happened to us. He's describing now the, um, the accomplishments of Dhamma practice. And again, think of the brilliance of this teacher from 2,600 years ago. He was teaching something that was unknown in the world before. And so there's a challenge to teach something that people you're teaching have no context at all. And so he first understood that he had to establish the context. So one of the things that's interesting to me is he didn't teach the Paticca Samuppada Sutta, the primary sutta on dependent origination, until much later in his teaching career. It's impossible for me or anyone else. Um, I mean, there's really brilliant scholars that have studied the, the suttas um, for what way more than I have. Um, but nobody can determine when the Buddha taught a certain sutta. And so it's kind of speculation, but I think well-founded that the Buddha didn't teach dependent origination until probably nine months and maybe even years into his teaching career. Why? Because people still didn't have the context to understand what he was teaching. But so now as the original Sangha grew, he could then teach things like we do here in a situational way, meaning he would notice something in the Sangha was brewing or, or someone or a group of people in the Sangha were kind of confused on something. And so he would teach a sutta to that point. But everything he taught was in the context of dependent origination and four noble truths. And the only reason he taught human beings was to understand these four noble truths for the sole purpose so that we no longer contribute to the stress in the world. Think about what that man did for us. It still brings me to tears when I realize he spent his whole life teaching so I don't have to stress myself out and we don't have to stress ourselves out. We can live liberated in the world, not confined or burdened by ignorance in this very simple and direct way. Somehow he figured out that the common human distraction that's rooted in self-loathing is alleviated by understanding these four simple truths. And again, we need that, that four foundations of mindfulness, 
we need to be mindful, as Brian so eloquently taught, that it is the sixth sense base that is affected and interacts with concentration or the lack of it. So when you think about your sixth sense base, it's literally you, it's your animation in your life, it's your senses, right? And if they're uncontrolled through really no fault of our own, we're just human beings or we're not, most of us aren't born with control of our minds, then our senses are just grasping after everything. And there's no coherence in our, in our senses either. We don't, we're not interpreting things as they truly are. And now in this simple conclusion, but I might be making it a little more complicated than it needs to be, you'll see how the Buddha just says, basically, pay attention to what's going on between your ears. Mindfulness of the Four Noble Truths is the beginning of this section, the Buddha's words. Furthermore, meaning, again, the choice of words was important here. Like, and this was, I, I'm the one that did the re restoration, but in most of the suttas, there was that, that the word furthermore is accurate because it, what the Buddha is implying and what I hope we're all implying is as a continuation of practice. Furthermore, one remains mindful of the quality of mind in reference to the Four Noble Truths. The quality of mind in reference to or in relation to Four Noble Truths. The Buddha is not saying we can only approach the Four Noble Truths with one certain quality of mind because that would be an impossible task, wouldn't it? because our quality of mind is impermanent as is everything else. And so he had to figure out a way that any human quality of mind could relate to the four noble truths under the right conditions. And that's the four foundations of mindfulness. So a mind that is well concentrated can engage with the four noble truths or dukkha arising in the world with a mind that might in the moment be confused or fearful angry, regretful, blissful. But any one of those qualities of mind, known as the fourth foundation of mindfulness, being at peace with whatever that quality of mind is, now I can engage with the noble truth of my own life. There is eye making or there isn't. There's dukkha or there isn't. I'm either contributing to the stress and suffering of my own life and likely others. Or I, am, I have taken control of my mind through these simple skills that any human being can develop. And in this moment, I am sovereign. I'm secluded. I am well concentrated and I'm at peace. And dukkha is occurring. Right? right here, right now, dukkha is occurring. That's the first noble truth. As a consequence of having a human life, there's going to be dukkha. There's going to be disappointment, stress, suffering, sometimes extreme agony physical or mental or both. We're going to see terrible tragedies happen all over the world. And some of those tragedies killed millions of or thousands of people in one shot. And, and what the point I'm, I'm not trying to bring us all down. The point I'm trying to make is that we all hear about these things. We all live in the world. And we may think that because we're hearing about a war here and a war there and a, and a, a dispute here and an argument here, that the world is like that now, and it's never been like that before. No. The Buddha awakened. And what he said when he awakened, he said, I looked out on the world, and what did I see? I saw a world aflame with the fires of passion. He saw this 2,600 years ago. But we first became confused with dukkha the first time we noticed a loved one getting eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. This is part of our conditioned thinking. 
It's part of our human psyche. There's not a, a why about it or a right or a wrong about it. It's a consequence of living a human life. It's going to be dukkha. There's going to be saber-toothed tigers eating our loved ones. There's going to be people we don't agree with. There's going to be wars and famines and hurricanes. There's going to be beautiful sunsets and lovely babies like we saw yesterday. There's going to be the, the real camaraderie of a saga that is developing an understanding of all this. The world doesn't just suck, but there is dukkha. And the Buddha picked that one thing to put our focus on. Why? Because of self-loathing, because we're, we're, we're so sick, we're so stuck on wanting this moment and me to be different than I am. For me, and you've heard the story, for me it began, I don't know how it began, but I fell in love with Mickey Mantle. It was the greatest. And so I had to play center field for the Yankees, even though I was 5'7 and quite slow of foot. So, but that was me and that was my idea. And along the way, other things happened to me, good and bad. And they all conditioned my mind. So the things that were hurtful or I didn't like, I created a natural aversion to that I carried around with me. I don't want it coming to me. I don't want the world to impose this on me. And I had experiences with people that were wonderful that started causing me to cling to relationships, cling to, to ro even romantic relationships. And every one of the, those relationships, my partner felt that. And I also felt it from them in many cases. I wasn't giving them space because I was always grasping after them. I had two, two very important relationships ended because Women said they couldn't reach me. They felt like I wasn't there. And I wasn't because I couldn't be. But a lot of, the, a lot of those relationships were wonderful. But the part of it that was crappy was because of me. But not because I, not in a, in a, a shameful way. I'm only shameful if I recognize it and don't do anything about it. That's true shame. And that's something we should be ashamed about. But I had to admit that something was wrong. I love these people. I wanted to spend the rest of I, I married one of them. I made vows to her. I'm going to spend the rest of my life. And you can be assured of that. No matter what happens, I'm never going to leave you. And I did. To this day, it bothers me. It still brings me a little bit to tears. That I made a promise to another person that I couldn't keep. But I had to break it. If I was going to grow up. I was about seven years sober, eight years sober. I knew if I stayed in this marriage, I was going to drink again. And I knew that I couldn't be happy. At the time, I was thinking that it was this person, but it wasn't. And I could tell you stories about how awful this person was. And she threw things at me, and she did. But she was living her own conditioned mind. It was my mind that was agitated in that situation and in other situations in life. And then I came across these teachings, and I did what the Buddha describes here. Remain mindful of knowing that this is stress. This is the origination of stress. This is the cessation of stress. And this is the Eightfold Path leading to the cessation of stress. That's an entire Dhamma teaching, isn't it? In this moment, to just recognize this is stress. The Buddha is not saying, he doesn't say, remain mindful of knowing that there's never, ever going to be stress. Because we're still living in the world. He's just saying, now you know, you understand stress. Remain mindful that this is stress. 
know what stress is. Know it. That's what we're doing here. We're understanding stress. We're not eliminating it. We're not finding a way to escape from the, from the nasty things of the world just so that we can have the pleasant things. That's called the pain of positive thinking, folks. If you have it, get rid of it because it's only hurtful. What we talked about earlier is the counter to the need for positive thinking. It's equanimity, right? I don't need anything to be any other way. I don't need to be it to be good or bad. I don't have to characterize anything in any way anymore because this is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. And you've all experienced that at a very deep and profound level. I even noticed it at dinner last night. There was no eye making at all. It was really, it was remarkable to see what a great teacher I am and that you all practice the Dhamma as well as you do. And again, it, it, I'll take a little bit of credit for being a teacher, but you know, we now have seven others that we know are outstanding. Remain mindful of knowing that this is stress. This is the origination of stress. This is the cessation of stress. And this is the eightfold path leading to the cessation of stress. And he says, in this way, if we do this, in this way, as a consequence of right practice, one remains mindful of the quality of mind in and of itself, just as it is. Again, the Buddha is reminding us, don't cling to any quality of mind. Be at peace with the quality of mind in and of itself. That means whatever the quality is, I am mindful of it. And in this sense, that aspect of mindfulness is what I call, what we call refined mindfulness. It's, it's refined because it doesn't have me in it. It doesn't have an ego personality in it. Remain mindful of the quality of mind in and of itself internally, right? In relation to myself, to the story that I'm telling to myself or, or the story that I dropped. And I'm no longer telling that story. And externally, to my relationships with other human beings and all phenomena, internally and externally. Be mindful of the quality of mind. What is the quality of mind when I see someone coming up to me that, that's angry and I know they're going to start a fight? Well, it might be reactive in that moment. But now I can take a breath. I know what might have been coming up from my own conditioned thinking. And when that person approaches me, like Angela Miller approached Siddhartha, ready to kill Siddhartha. This is a man that had 99 murders under his belt already. He had, and he hung the, the bloody fingers off his off his neck as a, as a, uh, a sign of, of honor and his power. And he came across the Buddha and the Buddha was serene. He was calm. And he said, Angel Mill, I know you. And I know your stress. And this is so confused. He was not thinking about that. And he knew just what to say. Not because he was clairvoyant, not because he was supernatural, because he was a fully mature, awakened human being. And he gave Angela Mill this brief teaching like we had this weekend, but in a few sentences. And Angela Mill never harmed another soul from that moment on. And by the way, Angela Mill didn't have to suffer 99 horrible deaths to, to extinguish his karma. That's not, the, that's not karma. In that moment, as Angela Mill's mind cleared, his karma cleared too. He was no longer guilty of anything. He was liberated. In turn and externally, one remains mindful of the phenomena, phenomenon of the origination of the qualities of mind 
and their arising and passing away. We're mindful of the origination of the qualities of mind. Where does the quality of my mind originate? Can anybody answer that? You better all be answering. Well, another way to say it, who's responsible for the quality of my mind? Yeah. It's up to us and we can do it. And it wouldn't be taught if it wasn't humanly possible. In the beginning, we can't even understand what that means to be present with the present quality of mind, but we can understand it. We can understand now that if I find my mind is agitated, I know that it's agitated and I take a breath. And if it's still agitated, I take another breath and I'm, I am resting in the refuge of knowing impermanence. That even if what I'm feeling is persistent and maybe I'd rather not, it's what I'm feeling. And all that I can do is stay with it because it's what I'm feeling. It's me. And if I deny what I'm feeling in this moment, I'm denying my very existence, aren't I? Aren't I? Another teacher would say, aren't I? And again, we do it to ourselves, for ourselves, by ourselves, with knowledge and understanding and true compassion. And this is how one remains mindful of the four noble truths in and of themselves without needing them to be any different. When we're mindful of the quality of my mind, this is how it is in this moment. I don't need it or want it to be any different than it is. This is how one remains mindful in reference to the Four Noble Truths. It's always the quality of my mind if I understand it and, am, and, am, and as, am in control of it. This is what the Buddha means in reference to, in relation to Four Noble Truths, Dukkha arises. Craving for and clinging to ignorant views is the origination and the continuation of stress. The Third Noble Truth is that it's possible to bring this internal process to cessation and the eightfold path that we've now all integrated and are walking together is the path to cessation. And we've all experienced cessation. Each and every meditation session, you've experienced cessation. Sometimes it's only for one breath, one in-breath and out-breath. But now you're touching reality. You're touching your own life. And now the Buddha tells us, this is where Mary was talking about the great hope and the optimism that comes through Siddhartha. It really was, I think I even commented on it. I don't think I ever heard the word optimism. I don't, know, I don't think I ever used it, optimism. But that's really the right word, isn't it? And we should be optimistic because we see each other doing this. And we've taken refuge that a human being did it. He, he left his teachings. They're still here. And we're practicing it. We have this song to do this. And he tells us now, if anyone develops these four foundations of mindfulness in this manner, as it's taught, for seven years, just seven years, one could expect either complete understanding here and now, in this lifetime, in this body, or if there is any clinging and maintaining remaining in this present life. So this one line dispels the myth of every fabricated um, Buddhist lineage. Because everyone I ever came across always taught that, that awakening is in a future life. And in fact, one of the schools that I went to for many years said that forget about awakening. It's going to take endless eons. You're likely never going to be able to, but go ahead and do it anyway. 
And I did, stupidly or foolishly. But why would I, you know, why would anyone do something that says you're, you're, you're going to fail? You can't, you can't succeed at it, but go ahead and do it anyway. And yet there was 150 demoralized people doing the same practice. And if I went to that place right now, there'd still be 150 people doing it. That's fine. That's what they're doing. But the Buddha taught to wake up in this lifetime. Why? Because it's the only one we get. So what good, if there is such a teaching that can sometime, somehow transport me out of this body and into another plane of existence, why the hell would I want to do it? To me, that's the same thing as crawling down to the bottom of a vodka bottle, isn't it? I wanted to live this life. And I didn't know how until I came to this. And now we all know how. It's just not to bring me into it. To practice this radical acceptance of an awakened human being's mind. Then the Buddha says, for some of us, let alone seven years, if anyone, my words in parentheses, perfectly develops these four foundations of mindfulness in this manner for six or five or four or three or two or one year, for six months or three months, or for one month, for two weeks or even seven days, one could expect either complete understanding here and now from perfect practice, from doing just what we're told, either here and now, or if there is any clinging and maintaining remaining in this present lifetime. Talk about hope and optimism. Does anybody think that, you, that this is not true? That this is not possible? Really, if you don't, please say something. Please raise your hand and say something. Of course we don't. We see it. It's simple. We understand that, yeah, we can do this. We have the, we have the model in front of us. We have the blueprint. We have the teachings. We have the teachers. We have the sangha. We have everything we need to develop full human maturity to awaken to what it means to be me in this world. Then the Buddha says, and again, think of, don't think of me as a Buddha, think of Siddhartha Gautama, saying how, how poignant these words are, how powerful they are. 2,600 years later, there's not many things that you could say that are this powerful. 2,600 years later, friends, this is the direct path for the purification of all beings. For the cessation of sorrow and regret, for the disappearance of pain and distress, for establishing the right method of practice. Even during the Buddhist time, there were wrong methods of practice, and then there's the right method of practice. And for complete unbinding from views, ignorance of four noble truths. In other words, it all comes back to this, to the four foundations of mindfulness. This is what was said by the Buddha. Hearing those words, those assembled were gratified and delighted. That's the end of our the sutta, but not quite the end of our retreat. Because I want to hear what you have, and I'm going to start with Ron first. How you are, how are you, my snippy friend? Uh, well, congested, uh, aching, and all of that, and still real happy to be here. Um, uh, to hear these words again. Um, and Mary was right, you know, th this is um, this is a reason for optimism, you know, this is possible. We have, we see it happen uh, around us. So, um, 
And here in this um, retreat, we get to see a little bit more of it um, and, and give ourselves a little bit more um, reason for optimism. Uh, it's been, uh, again, it's been a wonderful experience. Um, <clears throat> and to see three new teachers come in and, and share their, their insight and their life stories uh, it, with the Dhamma is just so encouraging. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad I was here. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dhamma teacher Ram. I'm so glad you were here too. Uh, let's go <coughs> to, to Jennifer. I'll see if I can get you. Oh. Maybe. Oh, yeah, that's good. How are you, Jennifer? How was your retreat? Thank you for the teaching. Excellent. Um, it was wonderful. It, um, I've learned so much that you know I feel the, the beginning of awareness. You know, again, this is new to me, so um, I'm, I'm awestruck by it. The experience of it. Um, and I'm excited. You know, I feel an excitement over the what I've learned and the teaching and the and the freedom. I, I just feel a sense of freedom that I haven't felt in a long time. And I don't have much more to say than that without crying. <laughs> That's, a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. Thank you, Jennifer. You, you can cry here. The teacher does it all the time. Yeah, One of the cry. teachers does it all the time. Yeah. You're on. Sangamal. Oh, thank you, John. <clears throat> well, there were some ups and downs for me during this retreat, but as usual, the Buddhist Dharma brought me back. See what I mean by crying? <laughs> I've been doing this for seven years. <laughs> But I really, this, this today, um, I, I was so thankful and optimistic to just realize how incredible the Dhamma is and to, it's sort of to see I felt like I saw the entire Dharma today. Yeah. Um, relationships between the hindrances and the, the factors that Mary talked about, the factors of awakening, and how everything is so integrated in the Dharma. Yeah. If you understand one thing, it it fades and it works and it folds in to everything else. And after so much time of doing you can you can actually just 
just have it. You can just have it. It goes away. It's impermanent. Having it is definitely impermanent. And I know when I feel like this, that, you know, I'm not going to feel like this all the time, even no matter how much I want. <laughs> I'm not going to feel like this. So that is a that is another layer of pure uh, security is what that is. True security. And true security. And um, I'm still struggling with any kind of security at this, you know, as I said, like I said, being, having been here a lot longer than I'm going to be here, but this helps so much and it helps to realize, helps me to see that I may still need help from, from something besides the Dharma, but that's okay too. And I will get that if, if I, so, you know, if that's what I, yeah. but everything is clear after, I don't know, today was just a wonderful day. Thank you. I'm sorry, went out so long. No, it, it, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for being here, Becky. You know, I say this at every retreat, and it's true at every retreat. Can you imagine if just one of us wasn't here? It would be a completely different retreat, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it really is true. We all bring, I guess you kind of have to with it. You know, if you're here, you know, you're committed to this anyway. And, you know, we, we can't help but bring all of us here all the time. It's, it's just remarkable in a very gentle way. Right, Jane? Is that Laura. Oh, Laura. Laura. They switched around. They're trying, trying to keep you on your toes. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to keep me on my toes. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, good to see you there almost. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know that many of you, you know, usually go up to Juan Dharma Center, but, um, you know, in the past, but it's amazing, you know, Again, all of us are so grateful to Nat for being able to be yep. in this room together. And like Becky was saying, I left this room last night and I, I did experience some difficulty because I went back home and was alone with my thoughts and you know, realizing, oh, my life didn't pan out the way that I wanted it to, but <laughs> that's just dukkha, stress, and like Mary said so beautifully this morning, which really helped me was that, you know, a lot of serenity lies in right view. My understanding with regard to dukkha, its origination, its cessation, and that I can do this through, you know, the Eightfold Path. And just, yeah, being here this weekend um, really put things back into perspective, you know, and, and yes, it, it, I mean, I'll have to go back to, you know, a very difficult experience, like at school and everything, but I feel like I'm going to be able to carry this with me, so thank you for running this retreat, John, and all the teachers, especially that we had here. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of it, such a big part of it. Absolutely. Thank you, John. Jane, 
I'm a teacher, Brian. Um, don't worry about your life getting off the rails. Mine went off at 17. You look back 20, 30 years later, it doesn't really matter at that point. Yeah. It all works out. So. Um, hey, you turned out all right, huh? I mean, I did all right with what I had, yeah. yeah. So, would I do it the same way? This has been... This has been really great, um, and it's been it's been 13 months since I was in this room doing this a year ago with most of you, and it's just such a, a radically different experience, and I'm sure it will be the next time as well. Um, and, it, and going through the Satipatthana again, especially in preparation for the teaching, just really honed in for me that this is this all comes down to mind and what we're holding in mind. Mm -hmm. And that the the entirety of the Dhamma resolves in the mind. Stress resolves in the mind. Um, and just really helpful to to hear this and be a part of this and just feel the energy. And um, I can't wait to do it again. The next one's in the spring. Thank you, Dhamma teacher Brian. Julia. How can you be so cruel to a blind man? <laughs> Is Julia here anywhere? John, thanks. And thank you to all the teachers. This is my first retreat. And uh, yeah, I had, uh, I'm not going to cry today, but yesterday was my. Um, was my breakdown so you know when I'm on this retreat I was really able to, to take a big look at my just to actually see my mind right because when I'm entangled in the world and entangled with my daily tasks like I don't uh, you know I do have times where I sit with myself but only so much I can tolerate <laughs> so here it's like you know <laughs> I'm laughing because last night I just, you know, I'm at the Airbnb and I'm, I'm deciding to work on, I'm so like uncomfortable, you know, so I'm trying to, you know, with my thoughts. So I start working on my resume, like, <laughs> it's just silly. And um, it's, yeah, so being here has really helped me realize how much I escape uh, my feelings and thoughts, you know on a daily basis whether it's like you know just constantly moving or even when I'm sitting there like you know there's a cell phone there's this there's that there's my uncle that lives upstairs and I'll just go talk to him and waste some time like that's so yeah this is all really valuable um I'm really grateful uh, to be a part of this uh, and um yeah when I'm you know, going back into the world and I'm, you know, uh, let's say communicating with my mother or father, that's when most of my stuff comes up, right? So, uh, you know, I can just recognize, you know, my tolerance gets higher and higher each time I practice this and just to realize that that's just my mind, you know, it's just mm -hmm. my mind. It's not me. It's not me. No matter how much I, I think it is. 
come back to my breath and like guide me through. That's really powerful stuff. So yeah, uh, I feel much closer to all of you and you're all really great people to be around, truly. And uh, sorry, I might cry, but I'm not <laughs> <your turn>. <laughs> <laughs> it's trying to come out. I can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Julia, thank you. You're you're such a um, you bring such brightness and, and enthusiasm to our sangha. Again, could you imagine this retreat without Julia? Yeah, I don't think I don't think we even want to. We're so glad you're a part of our sangha. Jane? Yes. <laughs> is that you? <laughs> yeah. it's really nice. Thank you. You know, this is my calm place. I mean, yeah. and to be honest, everywhere is my calm place. That's why I feel I can take this along. I did enjoy getting to know some of our Sangha members better. Um, one thing that really, I learned this weekend, uh, Matt had said something last night about how, I know how the, the Dhamma affects my life, the teacher gave me, but the effect it has on the people around us that are in our mm -hmm. lives, because I am calmer and with less stress, then I'm giving off less stress to the other people in my life. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's positive. It is. Yeah, I mean, this isn't a, a, a salvation type practice, but you know, I say it all the time. The most loving thing I can do for myself and all others is to take to the Dhamma and awaken. Because that's the only way that I know that I'm not contributing to the stress in the world. Okay? And imagine everybody did it. But I don't think they will. And it's not a salvation practice. Thank you, Jane. Uh, I think it's just uh, besides the Dhamma teachers, it's Mary Beth. Mary Beth, it's so good to see you again and have you back in Asanga. You can't leave now, now that you're back. <laughs> I don't have to say anything because John just summarized the <laughs> retreat for me. Really? I'm just so glad you're here. And I think everybody else is, is happy to see you. Give Jada a hug too, you know, for letting you go for all this time. Dhamma teacher Kevin. John, thank you for a great retreat. Um, I think what I would take away from this is just that uh, we're fortunate to have Sangha and, and every one of you with your practice and wholehearted engagement in the Dhamma. It supports us all, it supports everybody. And, uh, you know, We've mentioned we, we go out in the world and we have moments where we get entangled with the world and our minds are not at ease but we've got a place to come back to we have practice to to work on and we've got a great teacher so a great teacher well we you know this is right, I know. my I'm chance the, I'm to talk about you so <laughs> what you've always provide and you know it's it's you build a home here, you know, you build a, a home as we've talked about the metaphor of the group house. You know, I we, needed a home. We had, That's why I built you know, it. <laughs> it's str standing strong through storms and nice days. Pandemics. So, thank you, John. Thank you, Kevin. So I'm a teacher, David. Just thank you. This has been a benefit to us all. You're a benefit to us all, David. Plus, you get me here anyway, too. He's not getting you home. You're today. a very practical benefit. He's not getting you home. <laughs>
you're on candid camera. <laughs> I'm a teacher, Jen. Um, thank you, everybody, um, for your mindful presence. And thank you, John, for your mindful presence and all of the work that you do for all of us. I know that it takes a lot of your, all of your time and energy. So we really, really benefit hugely from that. So thank you. Thanks. Uh, I know I forgot to ask you to read the purpose statement, but we'll get it at next class. Oh. Mary, what do you think of your retreat? How was it? Oh, I think it's been wonderful. I agree that it's the people who come that, um, you know, make it special. Each one is very different. And I think that is really great that no matter how small people might think their contribution is, it, it matters. Um, just like everything everybody does in the world, you know, it matters. It has a ripple effect. So I think everybody's um, communal contribution has made this a really nice thing. And I'm glad it's something we can do in Frenchtown and make it more accessible uh, to more. Um, I think that's great. It's, it's just been wonderful. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to leave it at that. You know, I can keep talking, but it's it's been wonderful. See you at the next class. Thanks, John. Thank you, John. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Rob. So you want to keep this, right? Yeah, we're going to so have to have See you Tuesday. See you Tuesday. Hope you feel better soon. Bye, Rom. Feel better. Yep. Bye, my bowl. Bye, Rom. Lots of chicken soup. There you go. You got the chicken for it. I thought I heard a couple of walking. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.